We've been digging into Romans 6, 7, and 8, and we've been in Romans 7 right now, untwisting the passage that is so often twisted by people. If you haven't listened to the episodes uh, up to this point, please listen to those first um, and so that this makes sense. So we're going to jump right into Romans 7 again and uh, untwist these lies that we've that people have believed. And so I'm going to uh, go back into verse 16 and 17 and, and break this down. So I'll read it real quick. Um, it says, Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So, even when living under the law, you can see that the law is good when you do the opposite of it because you experience its, its death and sting. Because you experience its death and sting. It's so funny, there was a bee um, buzzing as I said said that, sting. <laughs> just cracked me up a little bit. Funny little um, coincidence. But um, anyway, uh, you... Uh, even when living under the law, you can see that the law is good, and when you uh, when you do the opposite of it because you experience its death and sting, it becomes sinful beyond measure, like Paul said a little earlier. He said that. Um, now Paul now Paul describes sin taking control and making you making you its slave to do what it wants, and you you end up doing things you don't even want to do, and even things you never even thought of ever doing because you have become a slave. You are no longer in control. Um, that is why he said it is no longer even him who does it, but the sin that dwells in him. Uh, I'm just breaking down every aspect of this. Um, so sin, sin is such a disease. It is a plague. It is a disease. It is, oh, it's horrible. But sin is such a disease. It makes, it makes all a slave to depravity who are under its power. People try to control things which are sin, but those things are what control them and make them a slave. You are slaves to the one whom you obey, Romans 6. Paul said that in Romans 6. You are slaves to the one whom you obey. And if you obey sin and become its slave and a puppet of the enemy, sin makes you capable of, of the most unimaginable things you, you never would have thought that you would ever do. Sin is a never-ending and always increasing snowball. And if, and if allowed to grow, it will bring forth such utter death. Just, just see James 1.15 that talks about that. This is how many people become so evil in this world. People don't understand how it's possible for humans to do the horrific things they do. This is why. This is why what Paul is saying. I'm convinced that every single one of us was just one decision away from heading down the same snowball of a path and, and every one of us capable of the most heinous of evils. Many of us were already on that path and Jesus rescued us. But we were all, I think every one of us was just one decision away in our life from being just as evil as the most evil people in the world. But many, many of us were already on that path and Jesus rescued us. Thank, thank the Father for His mercy. My goodness, thank you God for your mercy. So, 
Paul, Paul stated that he is a slave to sin in this portion. He said he is a slave sold under sin. He describes it like slavery. He's talking about the old man. Again, I've already established this, but we're digging in this. And he's talking about the old man. These things clarify that. He said that he was a slave to sin, sold under sin in this section. Again, do you really believe Paul had sin dwelling in him, that he was a slave to sin and he could not break free from sin? Come on. He said we are now slaves to righteousness and told us to reckon ourselves dead to sin. And he said over and over again that we are free from sin and free from its power and control. He con and he constantly writes in his letters to put off the old man and put on the new man. And constantly says to put off the identity of sin and put on the true identity that we now have in Christ. Do you really think Paul is, is a carnal slave to sin with sin dwelling in him? Paul said we aren't slaves to sin anymore. Come on, don't be blind to this clear truth. Jesus himself said we are free indeed through truth and not slaves to sin anymore. Do you really think Paul is telling us continuously that we are free and like throughout Romans and his letters, do you really think Paul continuously tells us that we are free and not slaves to sin, but that he himself still is, that he is still a slave to sin? Come on. Paul is not putting on the old man in this section of Romans. He is describing the past. He is not wearing the old man and saying this is who he is. He is describing the past. He lived his life putting off the old man. Paul lived his life on earth as a born-again believer. He, he lived it as putting off the old man and putting on the new man. The old man was now dead for Paul. Verse 18, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. This is a hopeless man. This is a desperate man. This is a man that needs a rescuer, that needs salvation. Listen to the words. I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. This is a powerless, hopeless man. You think Paul lived his life like that as a born-again believer? No way. He said this, so there is nothing good dwelling in his flesh without the Spirit of God. There is no righteousness without faith and knowing God. Living by the law gave Paul no empowerment, no power to live righteously. It just, all it did is reveal sin. It did not have grace to empower him to obey. Apart from relationship with Jesus, his blood, his blood he shed, and God's covenant grace that empowers. Paul could not do what is right. It was impossible. He had to be born again. When he was without the true God and living under the law, there was nothing good inside of him. Apart from Jesus, he could do nothing, like Jesus said. Jesus said that in John 15, 5. Apart from him, he could do nothing. But... In Jesus, who he could bear much fruit. Jesus, Jesus also says that in John 15, 5. So apart from Jesus, Paul could do nothing, but in him he can bear much fruit. And then that's why Paul talks about bearing fruit to God. And then before Christ, we bear bore fruit for death. So he's describing 
a life apart from Jesus that can do nothing, that can't bear fruit to God, that can only bear fruit to death. But in Jesus, we can bear much fruit. We have fruit unto God. We are slaves to righteousness. Making sense? John 15, 5. Read that too um, about this. So, so um, of course, we can't obey God's words without God Himself. It is impossible. Without relationship with Him, it's impossible. And as he just said, as Paul just said as a prequel, a prequel to this discourse in Romans 7, in the marriage of the law, we bore fruit for death. But now we are released from the law and we died to what held us captive. And we now belong to Jesus and bear fruit for God. That is what Paul is talking about in Romans 7. He is talking about the time of marriage to the law when he bore fruit to death. But now we're released from the law, died to what held us captive, that sold under sin, slavery, and we now belong to Jesus and bear fruit to God. All right, next, next verses, verses 19 and 20. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. This is, a, this is a man under slavery. This is a man in addiction. A man that cannot free himself. A man that is hopeless. A man that can do nothing without Christ. A man not bearing fruit for God. You have to see this. Again, Paul repeats the phrase about not doing the good he tries to, but keeps doing the evil he doesn't want to do. This is slavery. Look at his language. This is slavery. This is living under the law and sin being your master. But Paul already stated that sin has no mastery over us anymore because we are not under law, but under grace. This dialogue is not about struggling with sin as a born-again believer. This section in Romans is not about struggling with sin as a born-again believer. It's not. These are not our verses to cling to as our truth and our struggle. Don't identify with them. You're not supposed to. <laughs> this is a testimony of death, a testimony of being lost and what we were saved from. Not a testimony of what you're supposed to be experiencing, that you're supposed to be relating to. Don't identify with them. These words are about living under the law and not under grace. These words, are tr these words are true statements. They are. They are true statements, but they are true and they are the picture of what life under the law and the Pharisee lifestyle is like. Or if we ever slipped into a law living mindset again, they are true in those cases, but they are not supposed to be how we, how we live or how we see life. But these words are not, these words are not the model for the life of a believer. They are true, but they are not the model for the life of a believer. They are not for us to cling to in any way at all. Not as an identity, no. But it is in fact, these words are what Paul said that we have died to. He is teaching that we died to these things. We died to slavery to sin. That's what he's talking about in Romans in Romans 6 and 8 
and the whole book and his letters and what Jesus teaches in John 8 throughout the whole thing and what John talks about in 1 John and all that and Peter talks about in 1 Peter and 2 Peter the whole, the whole New Testament even some of the Old Testament that talks about the the Messiah and what he would accomplish etc so I don't need to get into that but so Paul never states you are all dead in sin and slaves and are always going to sin and you are never going to be able to do the things you want you are going to do the things you hate no never he doesn't teach that he says the complete opposite do you see the contrast do you see the contrast see do you see the teaching more clearly now in this small section in chapter 7 paul speaks in a literary form that is known as the historical present it's in a first person narrative which is why it has confused people so much but he is talking about his past pharisaical life his life as a pharisee and when the law had jurisdiction over him speaking in the historical present is a very common use of language writer writers occasionally use the present tense when reviewing the contents of a book or if they are describing past events in order to bring them vividly to life to the reader this form of present tense writing is known as the literary or historical presence present for example when we tell a story how often do we say like this like how, how often do we say so I'm walking down the street and etc etc blah 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 but you are actually describing a past event telling a past narrative in present tense brings you brings the listener into the story it brings you into the experience of what is happening and into a real-time feel it's like a flashback scene in a movie here's a silly here's a simple and silly difference in comparison when telling a story just a silly story that I wrote down there was a bull in the middle of the highway when I drove down the road and I almost hit it so that's one way of saying it right it's a past event that happened there was a bull in the middle of the highway when I drove down the road and I almost hit it versus this way of telling the events I'm driving down the road I'm going about 70 miles per hour and suddenly now I see on the road in front of me some sort of figure appear out of the woods I swerve out of the way I barely miss it I'm slowing my car down now and I'm looking back and there's a massive bull with large horns just walking down the road it's, it's just a simple example, a silly example, but you get the idea. In, in historical present narrative, you speak as if it is presently happening, though it's obviously not. The present tense provides a sense of urgency. This historic present tense is also found in, in, news, in news bulletins, for example. The report, the report may say at the start, fire hits a city center building, even though in reality it's a report about what already had happened, obviously. If you introduce things which are from the past as present and as if they are now taking place, you will make your story more tangible. 
it makes a story more vivid and immediate and captures people into its intensity. We very, we very often tell dreams, stories, and things in the past in the historical present. It's very common. What Paul says in this dialogue in Romans 7 is exactly that. It is crystal clear in the context of the passage that that is exactly what he is doing. And the, and the way he speaks in this dialogue is not in a factual way of speech or a teaching. He is telling an experience, a story. It is clear that he is telling an experience and a story. It's not a teaching. He's not laying out factual truth. This is... Yeah, I think you understand now. Everything Paul states, if interpreted all by itself without understanding the rest, in this tiny part of Romans 7, everything Paul states, if interpreted all by itself without understanding the rest of, every, of everything around it, in this tiny part of Romans 7, Everything he states is the complete opposite and is, and is in total conflict with literally everything he says in the beginning of Romans 7, at the end of Romans 7, every single word in Romans 6, and all of Romans chapter 8, as well as every one of Paul's other letters and teachings. This is on purpose. There is a reason why this little section in Romans 7 is in such contrast. This is on purpose. Paul wrote this intentionally, just like, just like he did to show this contrast in what a life under law is like in a first-hand, first-person, historical present display. And he compares and portrays life in the Spirit of Christ and under His grace versus life under the law and apart from Jesus and the victory of the cross. Many people have twisted these words he spoke, just like Apostle Peter had said, that many had done even in his day with Paul's words. Second Peter 3, 14-18, where he talks about how those twisted scriptures, the things Paul said, for destruction. Instead of the truth making freedom, it was twisting the truth, producing destruction. So many people have twisted these words, just like Apostle Peter said that the people did back then. What people twist and believe Paul is saying in this dialogue doesn't even line up, doesn't even line up in the slightest to any of Paul's writings or anything written in New Covenant Scripture. Nothing. I mean, it doesn't align with Old Testament either, um, the truth in there. Um, there's factual things that happen in the Old Testament, obviously, but it doesn't even align with the righteous life in Christ, the righteous life in God in the Old Testament either. Anyway, um, so we've looked, we've looked at the scriptures about covetousness that Paul wrote already, but let's look at a few more of Paul's writings which are in contrast to this wrong perception that people have about Paul's words in Romans 7. So let's see a few things that Paul says that just destroy the twisting that people do in 7 as well. Colossians 2, I'm sorry, uh, 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Uh, Beloved, 
Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Wow. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 34. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. Whoa. Wow. That's in the Bible. Yes. Wow. 2 Corinthians 13, 7. I pray to God that you do no evil. Wow. 1 Timothy 5.22 Keep yourself free from sin. Whoa, man. Sorry, I just keep doing these funny reactions to it because it's just like, wow, this is in the Bible? Yeah, <laughs> it is. 1 Thessalonians 5.22 abstain from, abstain from every form of evil. Uh, in Colossians 1.10 Paul prays these words. He prays that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. Wow. Ephesians 4.31 Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And uh, in First. Thessalonians 2.12, Paul charges us to walk worthy of God. Wow. So, because God, also Paul says this, so because God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, he then goes on to say in Ephesians 3, uh, at the end of Ephesians 3 into Ephesians 4, he says, because God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, all that that he goes over. He then says, I therefore, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And I, I could go on and on with scripture after scripture, but... I think that is plenty for us to see my point, to see this point with clarity. We, we could examine many more similar words from, for, for hours, um, not to mention all of the ones from the rest of the apostles and from Jesus himself in the Gospels. But um, you, you get it. Um, so I, that's just, that clarifies this whole, this whole section. It is crystal clear. And we're going to continue on. I'm going to end right there. Um, we're going to continue in Romans 7 in the next episode. But thank you so much for joining. I hope this is clearing the confusion because um, it's clear. It really is. I know I say that word a lot, but it's so important. Um, and so, yeah, the Lord loves you so much. I pray the truth would make you free, that every twist of Scripture and lie that the enemy has planted in your life would be untwisted and the destruction would stop, that truth would come to light, that you would align yourself, believe the truth, reckon yourself dead to stand alive unto God, that you would believe the truth and it would make you free, produce freedom in your life, that you may bear fruit to God, that you would recognize that you can do nothing without Jesus, but you would believe and understand and recognize that you can bear much fruit in Him, that you're not without Him anymore. And so uh, the Lord loves you. I thank you uh, for joining uh, this week's episode. Um, God bless you in Jesus' name. 
Thanks again for joining this week's episode of the Truth Produces Freedom podcast. You can find me on Facebook at Jonah Smith Preachings and Teachings. You can comment, uh, send me a message if you, if you have any questions or if there's anything you want me to uh, um, talk about on the show. Um, and uh, I'm also on a WordPress blog uh, and I'm on YouTube as well. And those are going to be under uh, Truth Produces Freedom podcast. And you can get this podcast anywhere that you find podcasts. Uh, please like, subscribe and share with people just so more people um, can get the podcast and hear um, the truth that's going to make them free. I just want to see people set free and walking in their identities. identities. So thank you so much for uh, joining and uh, may God bless you in Jesus' name.